Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. We are continuing today in our uh, Kingdom Culture Value series, Church is a Covenant Family. So we have eight Kingdom Culture Values that really define uh, what we're seeking to live out and practice so that we can uh, really create the culture of the kingdom of God. And one of those is that church is a covenant family. Last week, uh, I talked about how son- uh, talked about sonship in covenant family and how God is a father who places us in family. We don't really go and find the church of our choice. We hear God's voice and become a part of the church family of God's choice. In many ways, in the same way that we're born into a family, uh, God will connect us, place us in a family that he calls us to be a part of. And a really important part of that is relating to God as a father. And um, we talked a little bit last week about how sometimes, you know, we've all had some, some issues in our lives when it comes to, not all of us, but some of us, I mean, no, nobody had the perfect dad, right? But Uh, Some of us maybe have had a better starting place than others when it comes to our natural father. And so often uh, what our family of origin was like can impact how easy or difficult it is for us to connect in a church family, at least at a deep level. But today I want to go a little bit deeper in understanding this and talking through this. Uh, We're going to look at two passages of scripture. Both of these are in the book of Ephesians. Uh, We know that uh, Ephesians was a special church for Paul. He spent uh, longer in in Ephesus than any other place where he visited on his missionary journeys. He spent three years there and had a very close relationship with the leaders and the team and with that that church. And uh, he begins to address in Ephesians one of the challenges that were faced in all of the churches. And it was this, uh, this racism and this divisive thing that existed between the Jews and the Gentiles. Uh, he's addressing this repeatedly in his letters. As we know, the, uh, the Jews were God's covenant people and they had been kind of programmed from their, the, the way that they thought about the world uh, to be a bit self-righteous. And we know that the Pharisees who were leading the Jewish people from a religious perspective were very self-righteous and that that spirit kind of pervaded the whole culture at that time uh, and so they saw themselves as very elite and more spiritually elite than the non-jews but then you have a problem on the other side as well because the uh, gentile people particularly in the roman culture they didn't like the jews so much either they thought there was a story going around that they were descendants of lepers who were expelled from egypt that was the story that they heard uh, they thought they were a bit superstitious because they didn't eat a lot of foods uh, that, that, you know, they, they didn't enjoy the bacon or whatever, you know. And then they also thought that they were a bit lazy because they keep a Sabbath every week, these lazy Jews. So Paul had a bit of a problem on his hands. And so what happens when you have these two different types of people who start connecting in church, they, they, it begins, there, there's things that begin to come to the surface. And so Paul is addressing this in these passages. 
And uh, by the way, we can often experience the same things when we show up in a church, right? People trigger us. We have our own family of origin issues that cause us to see the world in a certain way or make it challenging for us to go very deep in relationship with other people. And so Paul is addressing in Ephesians 2 some things that I think can help us. We'll begin in Ephesians 2, verse uh, 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He's speaking specifically to the Jews. For he himself, or sorry, to the Gentiles. You were far off, you've been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both, Jew and Gentile, one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And we'll skip down a couple of chapters, Ephesians chapter 4, Paul picks up this same theme on unity and getting along in the family of God. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I want to talk about resolving conflict in covenant family. Resolving conflict in covenant family. Specifically, I'm going to talk about seven principles for healthy living. Now, I know we're, uh, it's already 5.15, so I'll give you somewhat of a abridged version. We'll hit the high points. But uh, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your presence. We thank you, Lord, that you've been with us. We thank you that, Lord, as we worship you, you, uh, you inhabit our praises and we honor your presence. Lord, we say we're hungry for you to speak. Father, what do you want us to hear about covenant family today? Holy Spirit, you know the deep places of all of our hearts where we're at. You know what our history is like. The unresolved relationships unresolved conflict in relationships perhaps in our past, maybe patterns that we've inherited from parents of dysfunction that has made it hard to connect with other people. Or, Father, we just want you to bring healing. And God, I ask that you would make us a people. Lord, open our eyes, give revelation that we might see your heart for reconciliation. And that, Lord, out of that, you would build something amongst us that's healthy, Lord, that really, truly resembles family. Jesus, we remember what you prayed about unity, the unity of your people, and, and how out of that oneness that, as we understand we're one with you, and, and, and in that one with the Father, that there would be a love that we, uh, we demonstrate that would be very attractive to the world around us. Father, we take responsibility for the fact that Oh, there are people around us that are not reached. We, we know that you've called us to reach them. But God, we, we want to 
We, we want to be a, a family, a church family that's healthy, that people come into and find healing. And Lord, we know that a healthy church is made up of healthy people. So Lord, lead us in that. Help our hearts to be humble today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've shared before about how I came to Christ in my third year at university, University of Memphis. In fact, I was radically saved out of I was kind of in that whole uh, neo-hippie subculture of the mid-90s where it was cool to be a hippie again. And we were all smoking weed every day and just being idiots. Did I hear an amen over here somewhere? <laughs> Somebody was feeling that. And we just all wished we could go back to the 1960s. You know, it's funny today, like all the kids just wish they could go back to the 90s, you know, the 80s. Well, we wanted to go back to the 60s, but um, radically saved and and I ended up in this church just through God's sovereign leading. And I probably one of the most significant revelations I had early on in following Jesus was I'm looking around at these people that I'm like actually getting pretty tight with. Like we're, we're pretty good friends and, and I'm experiencing this depth of relationship with them and this security in the relationship that I didn't experience with my other friends. But I'm just scratching my head. I'm thinking I would have never picked these people to be my friends. You know, I was like, well, this is, these are not, like, I was not normally attracted to, to this kind of subculture of people, uh, but I was experiencing this depth of, depth of relationship, and it was like this revelation. I was like, I don't get to pick my friends anymore. <laughs> Jesus is picking my friends, you know? And I found myself in this, in this church family, and we're, 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 you know, there's new people added, and I'm not in control of that. You know, there's people added to the church and, and some people you get along with really well, other people just really do your head in. They're like, un, un, really, un, no, I'm, I mean, I'm sure that's not the case with anyone here, but it's like that movie, um, What About Bob, you know? And Bob is, I don't know, if anybody ever seen that old movie, What About Bob? Bob's always showing up to, and just annoying the heck out of the psychiatrist. And, and there's like this realization, he has like, Bob's not gone. He's never gone. You know, like he's always showing up every, I'm trying to get rid of this guy. And the reality is, is we can, you know, we all have Bob's in our life, right? Like we, we might leave one church and go to another church and there's Bob again. You know, it's just a different version of the same Bob that we were trying to get away from before. It's because God uh, divinely connects us in family with people that maybe we wouldn't normally have tended to want to go very deep in doing life with. Uh, and, and we find in that journey this transformation that God does in our hearts and reveals things in our own lives. I, I really felt this contrast to what I was a part of before because I was not only a part of the whole neo-hippie subculture, but I was also in a fraternity. You guys heard of fraternities in the United States? You've seen them in the movies? Uh, it, it is, uh, well, I won't go into the details, but it, they, they, they sell you on this this pitch for brotherhood like this is a lifelong brotherhood i was so committed to the brotherhood that i got a fraternity tattoo on my ankle i'm like i can't believe i got a tattoo you know it's like I, I was i was so upset because i was all in i was 19 years old i was in, i'm like i'm so in on this brotherhood i'm even gonna get the tattoo and then a couple years in i'm scratching my, i was like there's no love here man these guys can't get along Where's, you know, I don't really feel a, a great connection here. And then I come into the church and I could see uh, what, man, this is, that was the counterfeit, but this is really what God designed in terms of depth of connection with people. But we were searching for it. We were longing for it. We were trying to produce it, but because there was so much toxicity 
and just brokenness in everyone's soul, uh, we, we didn't know how to work through the conflict. There wasn't even really a capacity. There wasn't a context. There wasn't a motivation uh, that was great enough to stick around, to work it out. Then as I walked with Jesus for, for some time, I began to kind of feel the pain of the reality that there are some people that you couldn't find resolution with in conflict, like my dad, my relationship with my dad. I'm on this journey of getting healed. I'm being discipled and my dad isn't. And so I begin to be motivated to reconcile and have this depth of connection with my dad. And in order to do that, I had to bring up some things and let him know about how he hurt me. But there wasn't a progress, there wasn't a pathway in his own heart of healing that empowered or enabled him to be able to reciprocate. And so the reality I began to realize was, is wait a minute, this whole process of, of reconciling and walking deeply with other people, it's a two-way street, right? There's some people that no matter how much you want to connect deeply with them, you know, no matter how much you want to reconcile, uh, there's got to be some degree of wholeness in them from which they can uh, find with you and in that, that, that reconciliation. And so then as the years went on, I was in, you know, Liz and I have moved around quite a bit because we were doing ministry in different places and helping to, to start churches or different campus ministries and things on university campuses. And, and um, we were in a lot of different churches. And we began to realize that, you know, there's, there's varying degrees of emotional health in people's lives, even with people who are in ministry, right? And, and there were some people that we had conflict with that uh, it was probably a combination of, of my lack of emotional health and their lack of emotional health. And maybe if there's time, I'll tell some of those stories. But um, I began to see that often it was deficiency in character that brought about conflict with other people or the inability to resolve conflict. Sometimes there were different perspectives about things or maybe different personality clashes. Have you ever experienced that with people? Um, sometimes different expectations of who I was gonna be in that relationship and what they expected or vice versa. Um, misunderstandings, all these things can lead to conflict. For those of us who are married, uh, or maybe just, you know, anyone that you've been a close friend with, you've probably found that, you know, there's kind of this polarity, this thing that, that draws you together, this magnetism, but the thing that draws you together is this kind of opposites about you, right? And so you're intuitively drawn to one another because you deeply need one another. And, and maybe you can't quite put your finger on that or what that is. Like Liz and I did this, uh, well, some of our leaders have done Strengths Finder, and uh, we, we did this many years ago, and it kind of gives you this terminology for understanding your, your distinct kind of talents and hardwiring of your brain. And, and so one of my top five was command, which is a strength where you don't really mind asserting your will in certain situations. And then, but Olivia's was, uh, one of her top five is empathy. And as we studied StrengthsFinder, we found that actually you should partner together. If you have command, you should partner with someone who has empathy and vice versa. And so we, we, we intuitively were drawn together because we need one another. But the thing that would 
freaking annoy us the most about one another is that opposite thing about one another, right? So it's my command theme that really does her head in. Like we'll go in on uh, maybe a date night or something and I'm going in the restaurant and I've already picked out the, the table that I want to sit at, right? I've already worked it out and I'm trying to assert my will on the host or the hostess who I'm sure has this plan and I'm trying to get over there and lives her empathy is feeling deeply what this person is feeling and is getting annoyed with me why don't you why can't you just let them why do you always have to be such a control freak why do you have to be why can't you just let them lead us to the table that we're supposed to go to so often the things that we need the most about from one another is what annoys us the most and so those things bring about conflict all of us have experienced conflict in life at some level. But how we've handled that conflict has really determined to a large degree the, the degree to which we've been able to walk with other people in relationships. Uh, if we can look back on our lives and see a pattern of unresolved conflict, it would be wise for us to um, muster the humility to maybe Look in the mirror and think, is there something that maybe I'm contributing to this? The reality is when I look back on the conflicts I've had, I've, uh, th there's been uh, m many of those times where there was a significant part of that conflict that was, I was responsible for. Um, and so what I want to talk about is briefly is seven principles for healthy relationships. All right, seven principles. In Covenant Family, we've got to learn how to build healthy relationships. And to build healthy relationships, we've got to know how to resolve conflict. So the first one is this. We have to understand that unresolved conflict grieves the Holy Spirit. In, in Ephesians 4, Paul here speaks about grieving the Holy Spirit, but he does so in the context of our relationship with other people. He's speaking about bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor. These are things that grieve the Holy Spirit. Uh, bitterness is basically a deep uh, offense that renders us or a person who's bitter unwilling and probably unable to resolve conflict. And God hates bitterness because bitterness breeds disunity. God loves oneness. He loves unity in, in his house, in the family. Uh, and so when we are unwilling to resolve conflict, maybe because of insecurity or brokenness, fear of rejection, pride, whatever it is, uh, we, we tend to take a, a, a less bold, a more cowardly path away from seeking reconciliation, and we tend to separate ourselves from other people out of that bitterness. And God, Paul says, God is not pleased with that. It grieves him. And if we are truly following Jesus, then he is always leading us on a journey of learning how to resolve conflict in a healthy way and always challenging us to be those who resolve conflict. I remember one of the greatest conflicts I ever had was I was relatively young in ministry. This was around 2007. We had moved from Melbourne to Aubrey Wodonga to plant a church and there was a new pastor that took over the church in Melbourne. And he sent me this email. I didn't have the greatest of relationships with him. He had kind of connected into the church and, and we weren't super close, 
but I wanted to be his friend and I wanted to, you know, have a good relationship with him. But he sent me this email and in this email, he said some things that upset me. And uh, he, he said, he, 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 he made some decisions and told me he was making some decisions that were gonna affect me uh, and affect me financially. And uh, cause I had been sent out of this church. And so, you know, being the, the wise, mature Christian leader that I was, I fired back a, an email to him uh, explaining to him why I thought this decision was uh, not a good decision to make. And so then it just escalated from there. He fired an email back to me. And then I fired an email back to him and I think I copied it to one of our leaders. You know, like I'm like, bring it up, bring somebody else in on this. You know, they need to see how this guy's treating me right now. And uh, <laughs> things really escalated and blew up from there. Uh, but he was in a different city and I, I was in a different city. And I think I saw him one more time after that. And it was super awkward. Um, we just kind of brushed it under the rug. And uh, I don't know if I, you know, neither of us probably had the emotional health to really resolve that issue. But I learned a lot from that, namely, Never confront someone by a text or email. You can write that down in your notes, right? If, if there's something that needs to be confronted, don't do it in writing. At least pick up the phone or maybe meet in person. But I, I for years, was using this, this example of how not to handle conflict, right? And I lost touch with them. Uh, there was some other, you know, relational blow-ups that happened. And, and like, he was... I he was like in just in a completely different universe for me in a ministry sense. And so um, years and years went by and then the craziest thing happened. I went to Melbourne last month and we had our five-fold summit at NUMA. And this was where all these other churches and Christian leaders are coming in to uh, learn about five-fold ministry and just hear more about how, how we are structuring our, our leadership uh, and, and what that looks like for us. And uh, I'm sitting there talking to someone and I look up and guess who walks through the door? It's this guy and his wife. And I was like, oh my word, I cannot believe just to walk through the door. And I go and I text Libs. I was like, you are never gonna believe who just walked through the door. And so I'm in worship and I just began to ask uh, the Holy Spirit in worship. I was like, Lord, if you would give me an opportunity, I would love to reconcile with this man. And so uh, I went out into the foyer and I was couldn't find him. I was searching for him. And then all of a sudden I get my food and I come around and there he is standing right in front of me. And I was like, Peter. And he was like, Jason. <laughs> it, was, it was, there was a little bit of like, you know, like, I was prepared for it, right? I felt a little bit bad for him because he wasn't. I saw him come in, but I don't think he had seen me. And so we had a bit of a chat and we sat down together. We had some food together. Uh, Martin, you were there. I was telling you about this. I was like, dude, you cannot imagine how crazy. And uh, so anyway, we sat down and I had an opportunity to say, Peter, I just want you to know, I understand the way that I handled that situation was completely wrong. I was out of line. I should have never responded in the way that I did. I was responding 
out of, my, out of my flesh, will you please forgive me? And he said, yes, I'll forgive you. And then he apologized as well. And it was interesting because his wife is almost in tears and, and she said, you don't realize how significant this is for us, that we were able to, that we saw you and, and, and we reconciled with you like this because she was saying they just had some really difficult conflict that they went through and really questioning things. Anyway, the Holy Spirit really used that. But I, it was amazing to me. I came away from that thinking, God, you really do care about my relational history. You care so much about my relational history that you feel it's unacceptable for me to have unresolved conflict with anyone from my past so long as it is possible to be reconciled. And so I was thankful for that. God sovereignly orchestrates opportunities for us for reconciliation. Why? Because he hates unresolved conflict. He's called us to be peacemakers. God is a, a father. He's building a family. And especially in a covenant family like this, it is essential that we become experts at conflict resolution. I love this. Jesus says, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. What does that tell us about what God cares about? He cares way more about our relationships with one another than he cares about our sacrifice and the gifts and our expressions of worship to him. There's something about the purity of our worship that comes out of our, our right relationship with other people. The Holy Spirit's grieved by unresolved conflict. Second, the foundation of our unity is the covenant that we share in Christ. In Ephesians 2, it says that he's made us both one. It's a covenant relationship that makes two into one. A covenant relationship is the strongest of all relationships. God has brought us into a covenant relationship with him. And by virtue of that, we are in covenant relationship with one another. That's why we say that church is a covenant family because our shared oneness in Christ brings a oneness between us, between one another. Paul speaks of how the dividing wall of hostility is removed. And whatever was divided amongst us before, whatever it is that we were, were um, relating ourselves to that brought division, he says that dividing wall has been removed. The dividing wall of hostility has been removed. There is no longer any legitimate reason for there to be separation or disunity amongst any of my people. And so therefore, he challenges us to be reconciled. Now, when it comes to covenant relationships, sometimes it's helpful to understand what something isn't to understand what it is. And I think it's helpful to say that a covenant relationship is not a consumer relationship. Uh, a consumer relationship is really all about me. In a consumer relationship, we say, I will be to you what you want me to be as long as and to the degree that you are what I want you to be. And if you stop being what I want you to be, then I'm going to stop relating to you. And so it's all about 
in exchange, the need that is met in the relationship. And it's okay to have some, some consumer relationships, right? Like I, we shop at Aldi, right? Consumer relationship. If somebody else comes out with a grocery store with better food and better prices, we're gone from Aldi, right? There's no commitment there. But see, the problem is a lot of people show up into covenant relationships like marriage or like connection in church family with a consumer mindset mentality. I'm here because I'm getting something out of this. And when you stop meeting that need, well, then I'm gone. If you don't recognize me the, thing, the way that I need to be recognized or you don't meet this need, then I'm gone. But see, a, a covenant relationship is completely different. A covenant relationship is based upon love, the God kind of love, a covenantal love. And the most ultimate form of love is a decision. It's a choice. I am choosing to give all of myself to you regardless of how you respond. That's what covenant is. That's the relationship that God has brought us into with him. And so in a marriage or in any covenant relationship, we come into that with the mindset that I will be to you what, what, what I should be in this relationship, regardless of whether you are being to me what you should be. Now, obviously, uh, there are limits to that, right? Because there are points at which if it's all 100% from me and 0% and, and from somebody else, then I'm subjecting myself to potential abuse, right? And sometimes there may need to be boundaries in relationship. Uh, and this is why Jesus makes very few reasons for breaking covenant and in the covenant of marriage. Because covenant primarily is to be a relationship where we work through the things that we need to work through, where we don't give up on the relationship when all of a sudden this relationship isn't meeting my need. I'm going to persevere. I'm going to press through. I'm going to do everything that I possibly can to heal this relationship. When the foundation is, is I know God has joined me here with these people. I am walking in covenant relationship out of choice because of God's calling and God's placing me here in this place. Well, then that settles it. I've got to work my issues out. I have got to push through my tendency to want to isolate or separate myself because it's uncomfortable or because, uh, because it's, you know, maybe the other person's offending me or letting me down. Covenant relationship is a decision to love. Another thing that helps us have healthy relationships is to understand that in close relationship, conflict is inevitable. Paul says in Ephesians 4, he speaks of forgiving one another. Why does he say that? Because he knows that in close covenantal relationship, you're going to need to forgive because people are going to sin against you. There's going to be conflict. There's going to be reasons to need to forgive. If you've ever had a roommate, you ever had a roommate and you were best mates and then you move in together and then you're like, what was I thinking? I don't want to be around you anymore. You know, or it's the revelation on the honeymoon in marriage, like, well, honeymoon's over and you're only a couple of days into the honeymoon. You know, it's like, okay, there's some, there's some conflict here. Remember our first conflict we had, I, I had some control issues as I might've alluded to before. And I was very passionate about health. And I, I thought soft drinks were from the devil, you know, like it's going to destroy your physical body. And we're walking through the grocery store, you know, because we're on honeymoon, having a good time. And, and Liz goes to grab a, a, a big jug of 
Dr. Pepper. You guys, in America, they have this thing called Dr. Pepper. It's like carbonated prune juice, which, believe it or not, tastes pretty good. And, uh, and I, I think I said something like, oh, you don't need that. Man. Boy, did things go downhill from there. And yeah, literally three months later, I'm sitting down with our pastor. And he had, she had gone to the pastor's wife, and the pastor's talking to me. And I'm trying to explain, well, you know, I got to stand before God and give an account for my wife's health. He's like, he's like, man, I think you're, he, we said champ. We didn't say mate, we said champ. He said, champ, I think you're taking that one a little bit too far. <laughs> I think you need to chill out a little bit. But this is just a normal part of getting close to one another. If we're not having conflict in relationship, it could be because we're really not walking as deeply as we potentially could or should. Conflict is always going to come out in covenantal close relationships. Remember talking to my Sophia, where is she at? She just went out, <laughs> good. <laughs> we were talking about how so often our family of origin affects our capacity to relate in a healthy way to people. And she had a great illustration of this from her high school friends who all came from broken homes that were extremely toxic. And it was like, you know, what God calls us to be peacemakers, right? But we have this tendency to revert to either being a peace breaker or a peace faker. And the priest, you know, you know there's this, like her friends were, they grew up in these homes where everything was so toxic and there was so much strife and so much anger and bitterness and malice in the home that they learned to feel connection with other people only when there was drama in the relationship. And so the only way that they knew to feel close to someone was creating drama. And sometimes we can, uh, you missed it, so I was just talking about you, <laughs> but all good things, you can hear, you can listen to the recording. But we can often times find that our family of origin can cause us to create um, toxic dynamics in relationships with other people. And it's just this pattern of behavior we're carrying on because we came from a toxic home. Or maybe you came from a home where uh, conflict wasn't dealt with in a healthy way and things were just kind of swept under the rug. And when that happens, you've got this buildup of all of this gunk over the years and you begin to get this pattern of be being a peace faker rather than a peacemaker. And you just, you know, it's like, oh, we'll just pretend that everything's okay. We're really not going to, deal with this root issue. Conflict's inevitable. Number four, moving quickly. When we work through conflict in a healthy way, we build trust and we grow closer. One of the pathways to deeper relationship with people is through working through conflict in a healthy way. One of the closest relationships I've ever had with someone in ministry was my friend Dave, who was the pastor of uh, the church in Melbourne that we went to uh, work with. And this was 2003. I was very young in ministry. And we butt heads a lot. 
but there was a sense like I had nowhere to go. I had, I, I was, had moved from the United States, we're part of this church, and, and there was this, we really loved each other, and there was this depth of, like, we really liked each other as well, but man, when we butt heads, but being forced to work through the conflict and having the hard conversations just brought us closer and closer together because it built this trust. It was like, okay, we can go through just about anything. We've worked through some stuff. And isn't that what we find in the closest of our relationships? I'm telling you, if you've had a, if, if you've ever felt the depths of closeness in relationship, uh, and those of us who are married have experienced this, you've had to work through some stuff. And if there's a, there's a long trail of stuff that hasn't been worked through, then there is going to be mistrust and there's going to be a lack of depth of relationship there. Number five, it's only possible to resolve conflict if someone is willing to lead the way in humility. Humility in conflict means that we are willing to not point the finger, but look in the mirror. Liz and I have done quite a bit of marriage counseling through the years, and I've worked out that the number one most important part of marriage counseling is to move away from that tendency. Like everybody comes into counseling in a relationship doing what? Pointing the finger. Well, this is the problem, and this is a, but how is the solution found? How do you move forward? It's not by pointing the finger at the other person. It's only by looking in the mirror and taking responsibility. And so if you ever do marriage counseling with us and you're the man, then my MO in marriage is that as the man in the relationship, if you are called to lead, then you are called to lead the way in humility. And I believe God has called all of us in all of our relational difficulties to be the one that leads the way in humility. And so I try to practice this in our marriage. I will find something. It doesn't matter what it is. And my tendency in the relationship is to be more of, you know, in conflict, you tend to have either the, the, the hedgehog uh, who kind of curls up in the ball and doesn't want to fight or the rhino, right? Who like charges in and just goes on. Well, I'm more the rhino. She's more the hedgehog. And there were times when we were in the early days of our marriage or even uh, engaged when it was like three or four hours. I'm sitting here trying to get out of her. What is, what the heck is wrong right now? What is going on? Like, what are you, are you upset with me about something? What is, what is happening? <laughs> and so, but over the years I worked out, okay. One of the great ways to get breakthrough is for me to think through how did I sin against Olivia in this situation? And when I can pinpoint that, the way that I respond to you when I was angry, that was wrong. Will you please forgive me? That's when the breakthrough comes. And one of, the, one of our practices in our house is it's not acceptable to just say, I'm sorry. Because if you say, hey, you know, I, I was, I know, I was, I'm sorry. All you've done is make a statement. And you are maintaining control of the situation. I'm sorry. That is substandard humility. What really brings about the reconciliation is when we confess our sin. When I said this, it was wrong. Will you please forgive me? 
There's no more humble place than confession of sin and giving power to the other person to either forgive or not forgive. You're giving the power over to them. Will you please forgive me? Number six, conflict is only fully resolved when forgiveness has been given. It's not enough just to confess our sin. The other person actually has to forgive. And one of the things that we have to make sure that uh, for ourselves, when we're the ones who have been sinned against, we have to make sure that we are extending forgiveness, especially when someone else asks. One of the things that's really helped me in my journey is to learn to not expect things from other people that is unrealistic to expect. I remember once having this pastor that was really great in some strengths, but I really wanted him to just be more loving and pastoral and, and just sit down and have a deep heart-to-heart conversation. And it really helped me to realize that he is incapable of doing that because that's not the way he's wired. And so if I'll just shift my expectation, then I'll stop getting offended and I will be able to really embrace the value of who this person is in my life. And then finally, finishing up, maybe if we can have, if you guys wouldn't mind coming back up to lead us just as we close. Conflict tests our understanding of the gospel. How we respond to conflict reveals how deeply we truly understand the finished work of Christ. Because when we know that we've been reconciled by God, we will do whatever we possibly can to be reconciled with other people. It's, our, it's, it's the recognition of our reconciliation with God that motivates us, that drives us to be reconciled with others. If we're unwilling to forgive, we likely don't see how much that we've sinned against God. Because if we really understand the degree to which we've sinned against God, then it's going to be easy for us to extend forgiveness to other people because, man, God has already forgiven me of so much. How could I not forgive this person that sinned against me? If we're unwilling to ask for forgiveness, perhaps we haven't really felt the the depths of the joy of being forgiven by God. We're slow to confess our part in causing conflict. Maybe we haven't really felt the, the, the freedom that comes through a, a, humble forgiveness, a humble confession of our sin to God. The deeper we understand the gospel, the more we want to be reconciled with other people. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead, 
and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.